Welcome to the Jay Martin Show and the pursuit of personal sovereignty. Now, most days on this channel, I'm talking to investors or economists so that I can make better investment decisions myself. Today's a bit different. Today, I'm talking to George Friedman because George is the geopolitical analyst that the world's best macroeconomists look to when they want to understand the implications of military action and consequences. So I've actually been a subscriber of George's for 14 years. So this interview has been a long time coming and I was very excited to do it. This is part three of my interview with George Friedman. As always, there's a pinned comment beneath this video where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I absolutely love writing it. I would love to have you join the team. So hit that if you want to hear more from me. Here's part three of my interview with George Friedman. Enjoy. Okay, I want to uh, I want to get back to America here because, you know, um, I've read your book, The Storm Before the Calm. Everybody should should pick up a copy. I know you're working on a new book right now. I want to talk about that too. But, you know, I work in in I don't know, call it finance. I talk to a lot of um, macroeconomists and and money managers, and you know, the general sentiment when it comes to the future of the United States or the future of the U.S. dollar is typically quite bearish and negative, right? And whether that's a symptom of what you discussed earlier, we love to hate on ourselves, it's just fun. Whether it's the tall poppy syndrome, you know, when you're the tall poppy, someone's trying to cut you down. You know, whenever I talk to a, uh, a US dollar bear, I always ask the question, you know, if, if the US dollar is so problematic, you know, compared to what? Tell me what other currency you feel is a stronger option. Right. If you were just spin a dial and place in any random country anywhere on the planet and all you had in your pocket was 10,000 cash, what currency would you want? You'd want U.S. dollars. But talk to me about about that sentiment, because you obviously hear it, too. Right. The U.S. dollar bears the U.S. empire's best days are behind it. There's a tendency in the business community to be oblivious to how dangerous the world is. Mm. In spite of all the wars we fought, some lost someone when you talk to the business community on the one hand they seem to think that the nation lives in order to make sure its value goes up and second that they don't understand how bad things can get they need to look at the history of the united states and of other countries and understand that there are worse things than economic failure even or downturn Sure. There, there is catastrophe out there. What the United States has is an enormously successful strategic position. It cannot be attacked by land. It is the only major power that cannot be attacked by land. And it controls the Atlantic and the Pacific. By then, you'll understand why we have discussions with the Chinese of what they're going to be doing in the Pacific Ocean. Or, you know, what we did during World War II to secure the Atlantic, okay? That makes all the plans that we make possible with an unlikely intrusion from the rest of the world. So in an American market, the dollar has an internal dimension. But the idea that a world war will suddenly descend on us or the Mexicans will invade or something, that's mm -hmm. not there on the equation. In my work, okay, I, by no means is economics trivial, but it depends on security. And security is hard to get, it's expensive, and sometimes you have to take risks. 
So what would happen to the dollar if the Russians successfully occupied Ukraine and then invaded Europe? And we had to send troops to Europe or accept that Europe is now Russian. How yeah. much would the dollar be born then, worth then? Now, I talked to a soldier. He can't believe there's anything to the United States but weapon systems. Get me a new weapon system and I'll take care of it. So in each of the professions that constitutes the pillars of the United States, there is a view that what we're doing is the most important thing. Of course. And there's no for me else. Yeah. And that's a very interesting thing because you don't get the same thing in Europe. In Europe, the French will remember what could happen. Mm. Uh, the They will think that it's all better, but they're not sure. But we're so protected physically that the only time we have war is preemptive war on our part. And they say, for the, for the business community, the, you know, that really is, and given by, should add, the amount we export to the world, one would think that we want to secure our markets. So we're in a position right now that we want to secure Europe. And to do that, we have to demonstrate our power. And that is going to mean that for a while, it's going to be tough at home. Mm. But if we don't do it, and this is what the business guy doesn't look at, okay? What happens if we give you another 10% of the dollar? What is the cost? What will happen? Hmm. And, you know, my job is to integrate the views of the general and the businessman. Okay. And it's frustrating with both of them. The general just has no idea why the businessman matters. <laughs> the businessman thinks the general's an overpaid bureaucrat. Sure. So, yeah. And the president has to manage both of them. <laughs> yeah, yes, they do. Europe is a continent segregated into many nations, right? That's why it's continually descended into war over time, probably. You could say the same of every continent except North America, right? The unification of this continent is where the strength comes from. Um, I made a comment about how the first um, real awakening of the dangers of isolationism for the United States was when Pearl Harbor was attacked. Now, I, I heard that from something that you wrote, right? I stole that from you. Um, you followed up and said, you know, the U.S. went so far down the path of anti-isolationism, I suppose, that they almost drowned. And I've heard you discuss this is sort of the, the maturation of an empire, right? The United States is an accidental empire. It didn't intend on becoming the world superpower that it is today. And it's had to learn how to fill those shoes. And that's that can be an ugly learning process or a tough one. So where are we at right now in the, in the life cycle of the American empire? I think we're at the point after uh, Napoleon for Britain, as Britain starts to really become a power. Okay. Because we've discovered we don't have to send paratroopers in. We don't have to fight on the ground. Uh, We've discovered with Rothschild told the British, there are many other ways to win this war. Hmm. Now, this is the first war where I've seen no dis major discussions of deployment of U.S. forces and heavily concentrate on our economic power. Right. And that is the turning point. The British did not have constant wars. They used their financial economic power for, to capture India, to deal with the French, whatever, okay? 
I think this is a very important point in history. I need to see how it unfolds, where the question of intervention on the ground, even partly, didn't arise. We took an alliance that depended on our dollar, and we derate it, and that can do it. That's you. That's an important turning point. That's it. And I've heard you write about that. The, the future of the American empire will depend on its ability to, correct me if I'm wrong, to influence the outcome of world events without utilizing its own military. Right. And its power is economic. Its power is economic. So how do we convince the Chinese to have different rules? We stop buying from them. They, they do the arithmetic. They've got to come to terms. There's no need to do that continually. The lesson we taught with the Russians, I believe, will resonate throughout the world, which is better to come to an understanding with the United States than to challenge it. They're not going to come back where they're weakest with military forces in the Eastern Hemisphere. They're going to come back with very simple rules. And if we teach them that we can take the pain that comes with it, we won't have to take the pain. They'll sit down at the beginning and talk. And that's how the British Empire ran. The pound sterling later in the game defined a great deal of European history. Mm. So, um, you know, I don't want to rule the world, neither did the British. Uh, I want to make sure we're safe. And I will make sure that anybody who challenges fundamental interests has to pay cash. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.